0: found it it's japan what podcast coming at you out of the back end of tokyo the pit of hey, asia. asia shinjuku sam chome i don't know where i am right now my name is matthew com. that's also conveniently the name of the website where you can listen to this podcast streaming on everything everywhere as are all podcasts doing everything Everywhere everywhere everywhere, 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 everywhere. Whenever everywhere, you can get to them. Everywhere, 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 everywhere. Ah, yes, indeed. Flying solo today. A lot of people are doing that anyway, so that's the way it's going to be for a while. We'll see where it goes. We'll see where it takes us. But thank you for uh, tuning in and selecting to get this up to four times a month and um, get that traffic going. The new year, 2023, halfway through the month almost. Almost already just just a shit show. We all know it's true. I started this podcast just before COVID-19 was unleashed on the world. Whether you believe it's the the Wuhan Biolab intentional, accidental, or is it uh, some intermediary host that transferred to a bat because of climate change, as Bill Gates likes to say. It's Everything is different, and then everything is not different at the same time. In Tokyo, where I am, um, you know, I, you haven't really seen anybody dead on the streets, but behaviors have changed. When I first started this, it was a lifestyle, tourism, music podcast in Japan, and I'd been working at a telecommunications company in Tokyo as a uh, running an AI IoT course for software engineers and telecommunications engineers and executives. Uh, quite high up in the company, at one of the main companies in in Japan. And uh, I mean, so, but since then I, I had to change jobs because of this COVID thing and then I ended up uh, expanding the family, becoming a father, which is great. Uh, I, and I've went to a concert, like a live house a couple of months ago and it was great. But at the same time, I'm kind of going that's just not what my life is anymore and who's who knows what's what's happening i still make music i'm going to play some music later uh, i still do all of these things that are overall detrimental to my pocketbook uh because i can't not help myself you know i compare it to some guy who goes golfing and takes a taxi to the golf course 3 times a month he's like eh. I really should be doing something else with my time, but I can't get away from these links. Um, so here we are podcasting. And um, we're, we're going to shift more to now, like news analysis. But I did go out a couple of days ago with um, an old executive friend of mine uh, who's, who's moved on from that telecommunications company and is now a CEO at a 5G company. We'll just leave it at that. There's a lot of them out there. It's not like it's some sort of king of the world position that only one person has. So, It'd been a while since we'd gone out for drinks. It used to be a big part of my life, going out for drinks in the Shimbashi district of Tokyo. After work, teach all the lessons, everyone's happy. Somebody says, hey, let's go for a drink. I'm like, I don't have a family. I have a wife or a girlfriend at the time. Sure, why not? And we would get blasted and do it enough where I could just wake up the next day and be like, yeah not feeling so good, but I'll just pop a headache pill once every few months and la-di-da. The other day, slammed me hard on the ground. We went out to a, a sushi a sashimi nihonshu bar in, uh, in Shimbashi and started off. I thought we'd talk business and catch up, but, you know, just like friends, you, you meet up and you just... Just keep going where you left off. And, you know, it's like, oh, here's some here's some octopus, and here's here's a big shrimp, and they do the deep fried thing. And they, oh, we also specialize in spork parrot spare ribs. We'll get some of those, and we're pairing it with the shoe We're cheering and we're talking, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is easy. I, I, you know, I haven't been out for a while because of the COVID thing. It just makes everything unfun. It's kind of a war on fun. And uh, then he goes. A music bar is open. Why don't we go and just, you know, you play some drums, I'll play some guitar, we'll have a, well, have maybe like a whiskey highball. I'm like, yeah, sounds great. One more drink for the road and then we'll be back hours later, just off my face. The next day I was slammed. I couldn't, I hadn't had a hangover that bad in years. It's because of the COVID. I, I stopped, I stepped off from, boozing that hard and mixing all the booze together and just waking up the next day and going in to teach. Can't do that anymore. Those days are over, but I did have a great time. Anyways, on on with the news. We like to begin um, news or analysis, things like that. I've noticed that there's not a lot of uh, Japanese news analysis going on in the podcast world, the domain. So we'll begin with a dumb product. Noodles, you don't have to slurp. Instant ramen-flavored popcorn released in Japan. Um, we have the Super Cup Pork Kimchi Popcorn Ramen. We have the Super Cup Rich and Thick Tonkotsu Ramen. That's pork bone flavor. <laughs> A richly-flavored popcorn that is said to leave the lingering flavor of Tonkotsu pork bone broth in your mouth. The duo of... Super- so, um, again... Uh, why not? Why the hell not? At least it's fun, right? The new popcorn snack takes two of Super Cup's most popular flavors uh, and delivers them in a crunchy popcorn form. Even their containers look like you're opening up a package of Super Cup ramen, but instead it's popcorn. Would you like to have some? I'm not sure if I would. Um, One thing uh, that's been been making the news uh, in a few different areas uh is this idea of um, the government of Japan is trying to get people to leave the um, the, the the urbanized districts of, of the country and, and go back out to the countryside. And it, there's always this harebrained scheme where... They, they say that um, the government is set to offer families relocating from the Tokyo metropolitan area up to 1 million yen per child as part of efforts to reduce population concentration in the capital. Um, this is always going on. My, uh, my wife's parents, we were just up in the um, Tochigi-Niko area over the end of the year, beginning of the year, 2022 to 2023. Um, and it's not easy living. It's not easy living up there. A lot of the infrastructure is getting old. There's nothing really for um, young people between the ages of 16 to 60 to do. Um, and a lot of the uh, infrastructure that's been developed, I noticed, has been like uh, municipal government infrastructure, like uh, city hall annex, um, a a dis- uh, uh, a place for the elderly to go consult, um, a theater slash community space. It could all just be the one, one building, but they keep building these really expensive projects that are just mothballed, essentially. Uh, they're just empty, and you can't really use them for anything because you have to go through the rigmarole of Japanese bureaucracy. And um, it's just easier to watch TV at home, which is what everybody does up there. And in fact, a lot of these areas are um, over-elderly. Like the elderly in the Tohoku district, uh, Tohoku area of Japan, comprising, um, what is it, Aomori Prefecture, Akita Prefecture, Yamagata Prefecture, Fukushima Prefecture, Miyagi Prefecture. I think those are the five. Um, When I was there a year before the Fukushima accident, I guess around 2010, over sixty-five percent of the population was over the age of sixty. Now, ten years later, it's just more so of that. Um, the houses are old. There's nothing to do. It's super conservative, and I, I, you know, I slam like the modern liberal culture movement a lot, especially when it comes to the Western diaspora of like English teachers and Westerners who are like really friendly, but want to make everything like you can't say uh, doctors, you have to say medical workers, like it's not even like non-gender it's it's just super vague so that hopefully no because you never know if that's really a doctor even though they're wearing a stethoscope and they have their hand up your ass it's a medical worker can't be a doctor we gotta be safe um but at least like liberal Liberal culture leads to like exciting restaurants, fusion, uh, food, music, things to do, more creativity. There's just not a lot of that in the Tohoku area. And when I was there, I took a week and a half to tour around there. And like a few years before that, I went around Hokkaido, the nor- most northern island, and it was a crazy, weird place with a lot of freaky, weird people. And I was like, this place is awesome. You go just. 50 miles or 100 kilometers south, and it's the most boring place on the earth. So the fact that you can just suggest people to take $10,000, get the hell out of Dodge, and end up in the middle of nowhere with with a shrinking demographics, and, and the demographic is only increasing in the, um, the upper echelons of, of, of the age brackets, it's kind of like a weird sentence to, uh, you know, how... Are you going to just try to capitalize off of the amount of um, senior welfare that's going up out there? Like, are you supposed to? What are you supposed to do with those people? Are you supposed to teach them Beatles songs? Are we going to learn? Are we going to learn "Let It Be" for the rest of our life, which is a fine song, but can you make millions of dollars off of that? Off of that business model, I don't know. So, this idea that. Um, families are just going to take the money and leave to the tohoku area or some abandoned backwater area with ailing infrastructure and emptied lots is is not well and in fact my 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 wife's parents are moving to an urban center north of tokyo in a new condominium uh, with great amenities close to the station so you don't have to get into a car as a 75 year old person and drive through the mountains of japan surrounded by 85 year old drivers like it's millions and millions of drivers are becoming older and older and older and and they're they're not the safest people to be behind the wheel because they not off are they on their meds is that what we're supposed to capitalize off of here i'm not exactly sure well Let's take a look at um, the the old COVID. The old COVID. Coronavirus. If the Wuhan flu doesn't kill you, then media panic will. Now do whatever the government tells you to do. <sighs> the old COVID. I, when I was doing this podcast with Tom Molesky, back in the, he, he fir, we first started this out together and we did very well in the ratings because Japan was a popular tourist destination, and we were covering that and some news, but also lifestyle and music and da, 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 when when it was a vibrant, uh, you know, metropolis before before the veil came down. Um, but I, in May 2020, is I still stand by it. We have really haven't had much of a pandemic in the real world since May 2020. Since May 2020, it's been human error all the way, like. The Australian um, you know, fishermen that say there's too many starfish. We'll just cut all the starfish in half and that will solve the problem. Well, they all just grew back, and now you have double the amount of starfish. I don't know why we're in this situation now, but just listen to this. This is um a very, very short story, short news article about about the coronavirus numbers that are going on um, at the time in in Japan. Um, Oh, yeah, we got to get to that story too. Um, Too many tabs. Japan reports 185,472 new coronavirus cases. This is like a couple of days ago. Uh, Down 13,000 from Wednesday. Um, But then... The number of coronavirus-related deaths reported nationwide was a record high of 489. What? So it's... Everybody's... I'm not vaccinated, but the guy I was with yesterday or a couple of days ago where we just got blitzed, he has like four or five vaccines. He's fine. But why, why is this happening? I mean... we're we're told that everything is supposed to be about, you know, reducing deaths for the vaccines and stuff. But now it's a record high of 489. And it says coronavirus related deaths, but we really don't know what that means. So we're constantly bombarded with all this information. And then it's just like, well, it's related and we don't really know what it means and you try to bring it up with people and it's like um, however that person interprets that data if it's different from you it's the same number and the same figure but with the way we interpret the word related it's like well is it is it vaccine or virus you know who's who knows what do you what do you honestly think like um when you see all of these uh uh people dying if you are aware of like american media takes the the cake for this where it's just like this person died and everybody's like it's the vaccine or it's not the vaccine it's you're either a democrat who thinks it's not the vaccine or you're a republican who thinks it's the vaccine um that does tend to spread in like the the gaijin liberal diaspora that i slammed earlier like uh they they will want everything to be about the vaccine until something might not be good about it, and then you can't talk about it. But if it's good, then we just talk about how great it is. Um, I have uh, in my hand here a supercomputer called a smartphone. And I'm, uh, to, the reason why I said that the in May 2020 is when the, really, the, for me, the coronavirus ended, <clears throat> a couple of things. A lot of my students at the telecommunications company I was working at were Chinese and they said yeah a lot of people died but now it's it's trailing off like this was before all of the government impl- implementation of pcr testing and co- and vaccine administration and and sla- closing down all the hospitals and closing down all the economies that that really was not a good idea in my opinion all of it sucks actually all of it fucking sucks um but I have in my hand here excess and exiguous uh, deaths dashboard in Japan. and this is from the Japanese government. And I have the total number of deaths here and this is like a dashboard and you can slide. So I've been like hearing like, oh, US reports 30 percent excess of deaths in youth. So I'm like, I don't know if that's really a lot. like oh, it's a lot, but what about Japan? And this dashboard goes back to the year 2017. So if I put up from 2017 January to 2017 December, the amount of excess deaths uh, in Japan for that year was between 2,954 to 26,544. And then exiguous deaths were 0 to 2,361. What does exiguous deaths mean? I don't know. Screw you. Why do I have to figure this out? Uh, it's a podcast but when we look at 2022 uh, well, 2022 goes up to um, september so we'll go 2021 let's just go 21 21 december oh sorry october to 2022 um, september the deaths excess deaths in japan were 38 thousand eight hundred and fifty four to 90 thousand three hundred and nineteen. That is a massive increase. Exiguous deaths zero to 1,391. But we're going to ignore exiguous deaths because that doesn't sound like something people really like wanna. So it, it went from maximum 26,544 to a maximum of 96,349. just from 2017 that's two years before the pandemic started, to 2021. What could have caused this? I don't know. I really don't know. Some people say it's the vaccines. Well, some people might have a negative reaction. Um, Some people might have not gotten the care they needed because of the closures. Or some people will say all the unvaccinated people were clogging up the hospitals and preventing. I didn't really see that either because in Japan the amount of, by now the amount of unvaccinated people is far fewer than the amount of vaccinated people. It's like 80% or more of vaccinated people. And I talk to unvaccinated people and everyone tells me, every unvaccinated person tells me, I had COVID early on and I didn't want to get the vaccine or "Eh, I was just, I didn't want to get it. And everybody is fine. But a lot of people who've had the vaccine, like, yeah, I didn't tell anyone this, but I woke up a few days after I got it. My heart was just beating like crazy, like for a few nights in a row. And I haven't told my wife, but I hope everything's okay. Or I'm not getting my booster because after my second one, I was put out for a week and a half with really high temperatures that I've never experienced before. I had a lot of people tell me that. So I'm not sure how much this is all saved or how much this has all been um, a giant waste of time. But I'm, I'm in the giant waste of time category. I'm just like, just go back to normal, everybody. Go back to normal. Um, what's interesting is that the, um, some news from China citing the same data has also appeared. This comes to us from Xinhua Net. Um, this is from October, 2022, and it says the number of excess deaths in Japan was estimated to have reached between 17,000 and 46,000 in the first six months of the year. Um, the estimates were compiled by organizations, including the national Institute of infectious diseases and institution of the ministry of health, labor, and welfare. According to statistics from the ministry and Kyoto news, Japan's total numbers of deaths during the six month period Um, came in at 777,000, and more than 12,800 people died from COVID infections. Um, In 2021, however, more than 1.43 million people died, the highest number recorded in the post-war period, due to factors including the spread of the Delta variant of COVID-19. Experts predicted that in 2022, the number of deaths in Japan is likely to exceed that in 2021 due to the impact of the Omicron variant. But what is the impact of the Omicron variant? Is it death? Or is it the response to the Omicron variant? See, that's what we don't ever know. We just like, they just say, they just put like deaths, omicron variant, and we fill in that gap with our own biases and prejudices. And when we confront each other in real life or to talk about these things, Whatever's in my mind and whatever's in your mind in that gap doesn't meet and it causes a lot of friction in life. And um, if you're inside the medical industry, uh, you're probably going like, ma, this podcaster is a nutbag," But I'm, I'm only sourcing medical data very carefully from government sources, which is what I've always been doing. Always been doing. That's enough of that. Now... One other, this all ties, I'm tying everything in my life right now back to when I was working at the telecommunications industry and after, because before that, I'd been surrounded in large part by um, the diaspora, elements of the diaspora of Western uh, liberalism, all, all the schools I worked at or a lot of the bands I were in, they're just, just filled with um, you know people with arts degrees, basically. And then when I went into the telecommunications building, I was by myself as, as, the, as the Westerner. I was like the only white dude. There was like 10,000 people in the building that I worked at. There was probably like three white people in the entire place. Um, a few Indians, a few Chinese, Koreans, da da, da 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 But as far as like Western white people with poetry degrees, like what I have, poetry and journalism, very few then I started putting all these things out, like not a lot, but just here and there. And it, it didn't stick. So the things that I would say to my liberal friends, like white people or not white people, but Western type, you know, they could be black, but they might sound like a white person on the phone. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Hey, is that Deshaun? Why, yes, it is. It's Deshaun. Um. <laughs> um so a lot of I kind of had to confront a lot of my biases because I was surrounded by people that just shared literally none of them. Like um, uh, I'm from Canada, and like the, the one of the prime ministerial debates for, for, for an election a few years ago, climate change came up at every point in the debate. But when I would ask the students about climate change, I had 150 students under me from you know India. China, Korea, and Japan—probably ninety-five percent plus Japanese. They all said, "Oh, climate change, yeah, 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 yeah." I'm like, "Well, how often do you talk about it?" They're like, "Oh, we we never talk about it." I'm like, "Oh, really? Like, like so? Do you talk about it once a week?" They're like, "No, no, no, once a month? No, 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 no. Well, wh- When? I'm like, eh, don't really talk about it. It's not really a thing. Okay." So you might see all this stuff in the in the news media saying, "Oh, Japanese carbon capture technology, LNG gas for climate change." Da, da, da. Even in the news, they might say, "Like, oh, the tide, the climate caused the tide to kill all these fish." But then halfway through, an expert will be like, "Ah, yes, we also must consider the rise of Chinese fishing vessels in the area as well." So it's like they always kind of counter the narrative. Um, where am I going with this? Right. And during my time there, um, to better understand the world around me, especially in in terms of um, telecommunications. And at that time, artificial intelligence was receiving a lot of investment from the company I was working in. So I would follow their investments. And then, you know, that they might invest in this company and another investor might be investing in that company. So I would check out who that investor is from this country or that country, look up their books or their YouTube Channels um, and, and listen to them for hours and hours and hours. And one of those people was Kai Fu Lee, the um, the, the founder of Sinovation Ventures. And then, you know, the Bank of Japan head Kuruda would be in Davos for the for the World Economic Forum meeting. And then and, 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 and there'd be AI finance people there. And then I would notice maybe Kai Fu Lee or something for, about Sinovation or Sinovation Ventures might be mentioned there. And I started kind of going down this, they call it a rabbit hole. It wasn't really a rabbit hole. It's just research. And it wasn't from the point of view now that we have of the World Economic Forum in terms of Klaus Schwab and you read the bugs. This was just like um, a place where it was kind of weird because they would talk about climate change and they would have a bunch of private jets flying there. But those are our quirky elites. And prior to 2019, that's just what they did. And (laughs) maybe they'll find a solution because they're smart. Um, now we know that's quite different. But so, when the you know COVID nineteen hit, and uh, the World Economic Forum head Klaus Schwab started putting out these books, uh, you know I'd, I'd studied a lot of the, the World Economic Forum before, just in terms of AI, blockchain, the fourth industrial revolution, and business opportunities within those fields. It wasn't me. Trying to think like, hmm, maybe this is alien technology and the CIA is trying to blow up the sun to create thermonuclear uh, reactions and and turn us all into um, uh, digital slaves. It wasn't this type, even though that's really fun to think about. It wasn't that type of thing. It was like, uh, I have a whole bunch of business people coming into my classroom. They want to understand these markets. They don't understand these markets because all of these markets of research is done in English. I'm good at research and I'm good at English so I can provide this service to them and I'm not going to make it wacky. I'm going to stick to the market values because once you stick to the market values, you're following the river along the bends and curves where it naturally bends and curves. Um, that's the great thing about markets. You follow the money. That's why they always say follow the money and, and you get there. And that's what brings me to this point where the, 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 the book COVID-19 and the Great Reset, which I bought because Amazon recommended it to me in June of 2020, um, was written by Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum. And I was working at a newspaper at the time, and I thought, okay, we're in the middle of this uh, COVID crisis, which I was kind of like getting over at the time. But I was also worried about the economy and the supply chains and all that because of um, Wuhan uh, being shut down. You know, Wuhan was or still is, I'm not sure, uh, a major hub for everything from computer chips to to telecommunications equipment to vehicles for the global market. they just it's like cutting off an artery. And that never is good when we rely on an advanced society with just in time delivery systems and, and so on and so on. Um. And then the, the book is crazy weird. Like it's, It reads like um, somebody like saying, because of this problem, which is a problem, even though you've never heard of it before, we need to do something about it. And we need to do something with the opportunity of using surveillance technology on people. That's basically the whole book. COVID-19 is providing us a great opportunity. The opportunity is to prevent bad things from happening. The way we prevent bad things from happening is by installing more surveillance grids. And every page basically repeats that talking point in a different way. Super creepy book. I recommend it if you haven't read it. You can underline passages from there and go back years later and and just kind of go, who are these people? Especially as we get deeper and deeper into the, the new world and the new normal and the build-it-back better. You kind of go back and you read it and all these uh, systems that have, been, that have been put in place for the, the biopharmaceutical you know, surveillance state and public health basically means surveillance of, of, you know, of people and that could be good or bad, right? Depending on how you surveil. and uh, their, their version is bad. So what I wanted to get to is this, the upcoming meeting for the World Economic Forum, the client list has been leaked. And I have the list in front of me, actually, and it's a very, very long, exhaustive list. I mean, whoa, we are talking, a lot of people are on this list. Uh, you know, a lot of them you might be surprised or not surprised, like the head of the World Economic... No, sorry, well, of course, Klaus Schwab is going to be there. Uh, we also have, like, for example, the Prime Minister of Albania, the Federal Minister of Labour Economy of Austria, Ministry of Economy of Azerbaijan, Prime Minister of Belgium, and who... Philippe of the Belgians, who's King of the Belgians. You know, if you think about Belgium... Belgium is it a country that needs to exist? Well, maybe that's why they go to the World Economic Forum to 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 you know keep their keep their finger in the pie and say we are still relevant. Do not destroy us. But this is the Japan What podcast and as I'd mentioned earlier before some of the research that I was doing just to provide a service to the students would lead back to the World Economic Forum at Davos and sometimes certain Japanese people or Um, Other people from different Asian countries that were investing into similar projects in the AI IoT field that the company I was working at was uh, investing in would would also be there. And I'm not, you know, it's just I'm sure you just go there and you drink for the most part, and you say, "Let's make a deal." Um, But I was wondering about this leaked document leaked to the uh, Substack um, uh, website. The dossier, uh, you know, they just, they've managed to get this advanced thing. And there's two on this page of 12 pages. So, so in this document of 12 pages with hundreds and hundreds of people in them, I managed to find all of the Japanese delegates who are going to be there. So this is a Japan what exclusive. You don't get this anywhere else. There are two people. One is part of the international and one as part of the Japanese delegation. Let's begin, because this is Japan, what? With the Japanese delegation, shall we? Hmm? Shinjiro Koizumi. He's born in 1981. One year younger than myself. He's the, he's the guy who's going to go as part of the Japanese delegation. Um, he served as the Minister of the Environment which is very important for the World Economic Forum, because you just say climate change, global warming, inclusivity, money. And that's how it works. He also served as a member of the House of Representatives for the Liberal Democratic Party. That's the Kishida Party, who is the current prime minister of Japan. And he is the second son of former prime minister Junichiro Koizumi. Huh. Fancy that. So he's an elitist. Um. He, he 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 did. I looked at his bio and everything. He doesn't seem like a shady guy. He you know he you know he's the son of a prime minister who is now an elite person going to the elite club in Davos for the Japanese government. But I, I have I, I, there's not a lot of controversy. He's like he he climbed the ranks. He he went to Tohoku to help with the rebuilding. But we all know. Politicians don't really do that, right? Like the guy with the shovel does that. Um, but anyways, he was up there. One thing that's interesting about them, about him, is that in uh, 2019, um, announcer, television announcer and news presenter, Christelle Takigawa, announced that she married Shinjiro Koizumi. She gave birth to a son on January 17th, 2020. Congratulations on your son. They're great. Little boys, little girls are great. Families are great. Make your family. Go out and do it now as long as you don't hate the person. You're banging. Otherwise, just make families, everybody. Um, now, you know, if we wanted to go onto the, if we wanted to dip our, our, our toes into the pools of speculation, what we have here is a former... Presidential, former prime ministers, uh, a son of a former prime minister who's married to a news presenter from France. So it's a combination of um, high end politics and high end media going into the super club of the world to talk about the the economy. Mm, maybe it's a little. Maybe it's a little sus. Maybe it's a little sus. It's not exactly um, really crazy. It's not like it's like some sort of intelligence agency mixed with media, like some, some FBI director deeply embedded in Twitter or something like that. Although, this goes back to my days at the telecommunications company. I suspect that there is a Masonic relationship between the French and between the Japanese. Tokyo Tower is a direct copy, pretty much, of the Eiffel Tower. It's just a few meters higher. But the Masonic Lodge is right next to Tokyo Tower. And following World War II, a prince, Japanese prince, became Prime Minister of Japan, and he had spent many years in paris frolicking around apparently but when he came back to japan this prince who be, you know later became prime minister also launched the chiba institute of technology i believe i'm just trying to, it's it's a big leap i'm trying to make it exclusively interesting i don't know if it's connected i could be if i'm wrong Oh, I'm deeply sorry. I'm deeply sorry. I'm wrong to suggest that there's some sort of Masonic relationship here. But maybe that's what it takes uh, to go deep down into the secret societies and pop up on the other end in Davos on your private plane pledging to fix the world with your ugly carbon capture technology. Even though I'm not sure if that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. So that's one person who's going to the Davos. Super club of the world. The other person, from the other person, the other person from the Japanese—not Japanese—he's part of the international delegate. He's a little bit more interesting. Let's let's dig into this guy, and I won't go into the dipping my toes into the pools of speculation on this guy because, with the politician's son you know, mixed with the elitism and and the, and, and binding it to the, um, press as well. It's, that is, that's dodgy, isn't it? That's, it's a little dodgy. It's a little dodgy. Uh, is it like this new, um, uh, royalty class of people, you know, like a, like a baron and some sort of czaret or something like that from some Russian exclave would, get a position somewhere based on their position in society. Uh, Is that where we're going with this? Is that where we're going with this? But this next person is actually a very, very interesting gentleman. And he goes by the name Kunio Mikuria. And he is the Secretary General of the World Customs Organization. Now, I've been talking about supply chains for many years because of my background that I had to develop myself. It's the one thing you realize when you're out in the world by yourself with no mm, background. I mean, no backup. It's just you in the world. You better learn fast. Swim, bitch. Swim. Anyways, Mikuria has a BA in law from the University of Tokyo. Ding, ding, ding. That's a super elitist. Um, uh, People who graduate from the University of Tokyo are basically guaranteed elite positions. And one of my previous students who had released millions of dollars, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of products into the uh, Japanese markets, was um, a graduate of the University of Tokyo. Uh, and a very nice guy, but I mean, whoa, he he was an elite. Uh, he has a PhD, and Mikuriya has a PhD in re, uh, international relations from the University of Kent. Uh, and during his career, uh, Mikuriya has held various high level positions in Japan's ministry of finance. He has also had assignments as counselor of Japan's mission uh, to the world trade organization and a re- negotiator for Japan during uh, some other things. Well, I won't get into it. Um, so he's going to be there as part of the international delegation. Um, one, po- I-, I went into his readings and I went into some of his YouTube videos. Um, to be honest, when you have a, a, a world customs organization, you, you, you need somebody who's probably not going to be like, hey, we need to be political. You probably need somebody who's like, we need to facilitate the, the most amount of goods to where they need to be at the time of ordering them and at the same time be aware of illicit goods and illicit funds being used in our networks so that we can increase trust amongst our partners and we they might recommend uh more people to to join our 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 organization because it gets goods where they need to go as quickly as possible as safely as possible without having the threat of um scammers and gangsters attaching themselves uh to loopholes within our um, products right and this to be honest from what i the the I looked at it into Mikuriya Kunio, Mr. Mikuria Kunio, uh, he, he seems to fit the bill, to be honest. Like He's just like, yeah, I'm a very smart person, and I believe in supply chains, and I think that we need to have uh, more, uh, you know, uh, legal goods going to places where they need to go, and less illegal goods uh, being part of it. That's kind of what some of what he was saying was saying. But when we look at the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab, what, one, of their, one of the key things that I realized from this type of research was vocabulary. Um, when Julian Assange was talking about the surveillance state that was growing, in one of his final interviews and final speeches, he was t- saying things like surveillance capitalism and da 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 And I transcribed the speech. And when I was researching the speech to find evidence of what he was talking about, when I would combine certain words together, I would get certain results from search engines that would confirm what he was talking about, which makes sense because the way that Wikipeaks, Wiki, uh, WikiLeaks operated was by compiling vast amounts of data, finding the correlations between those data, and then trying to paint a picture based on that data. Um, <clears throat> with Klaus Schwab, they love to talk about the modern capitalism has left many people behind, and it needs to be more diverse and inclusive, so that's why we need to surveil everybody. One thing that uh, Kunio mikuria has done is that he has a variety of publications, of course. Um, in 2015, he published something called Coordinated Border Management, an inclusive approach for connecting stakeholders Now, of course, with Klaus Schwab, his main thing, one of his main things is stakeholder capitalism. Look into it if you want to. And inclusivity. But before that, uh, Mikuria's um, titles included the, the council tackles the tough challenges facing customs, ready to implement the WTO trade facilitation agreement, exclamation point. Communication, sharing information for better communication. Together, we are prepared for all eventualities. Some thoughts about illicit trade. Business partnerships in the 21st century. The World Economic Forum 2012, sorry, the Global Enabling Trade Report. Enabling is getting there, but that's 2012. But in 2015, that inclusive approach for connecting stakeholders, that is um, divergent in terms of the vocabulary from his previous works, which makes sense. Over time, you want to change what you're doing. You want to shake her up a bit. You want to appeal. You want to get out there on that stage and say, like, inclusivity, it's a popular word, and I'm saying it, too. Yeah! Uh, But there you go. So those are the two people from Japan that I could find on the leaked list of the dossiers World Economic Forum, uh, you know, guest list. I don't know if these people will be speaking. I don't know what they're doing there. But in, in terms of Japan's official presence according to this leaked document at the World Economic Forum, those are the two main characters. The person who's in charge of the World Customs Organization and a politician who is the son of a previous prime minister of Japan. Stupid God Jam of the Week. Stupid God Jam, S-G-O-T-W. I used to love doing the S-G-O-T-W report. Um, Back in the day, back when, uh, you know, more muso types would tune in. In Japan, they would say, hey, why are you being so racist? You know, those... The, the liberal diaspora of Westerners that you just got to get away from because they're poison. They'd be like, hey, I, uh, I play guitar in a punk band and uh, I have some very strong feelings about that. Well, a few years ago, back when Shinzo Abe, the previous prime minister who was assassinated, by some guy with a plan. We won't say what that plan is. We won't dip those toes into the pools of speculation at this moment. But that administration decided to bring in 500,000 low-skilled laborers from Vietnam and other places around the world. At that time, I was kind of going, wow, that's a lot of people. Um didn't know what I felt. There's the migration crisis raging through Europe. I was like, well, it's a very, you know. Dee, 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 dee. I am a foreigner. <laughs> I am a foreigner in this place. And uh, there's something to be said about the types of foreigners in this place. Now, do I feel threatened by the liberal diaspora? Only on social media. That's where they attack me. They go, ah, boo. Okay, sure. Go back to um, telling uh, uh, junior high school students about English grammar and then try to become a punk rock star after work. (laughs) But then there's the other ones. A group of foreigners that I've been fascinated with because I know I'll never enter their world are the Chinese chefs. When you go to Chinese restaurants, which are great, uh, you interact with the front staff a little bit. I would like this. I would like that. If you go back a few times, they know who you are. Maybe they know what you like. All right. It's nice. It's perfunctory at best. But that guy with the giant cleaver and the dirty apron in the back chopping everything up for everybody, you will never know who that guy is. And it's always a guy. You will never know who that person is. That person to me is just fascinating, that type of person. Um, they're not always some you know fat slob in the back, but sometimes they are. I kind of prefer it if it's just like some, some just guy with a giant knife one knife making everything for the whole restaurant, and it takes no time at all. Just like, here you go. Here you go. It's so different, but so delicious. Uh, He would have no idea. But there's been uh, new waves, wave after wave of (laughs) people. I'm hesitating because I, okay, starting from Chinese. This comes to us from uh, japan uh, com, And the headline is upwardly mobile Vietnamese crime groups being supplanted by new arrivals. And this is by a, a book that had been um, uh, published. Uh, what's it called? Some sort of like uh, mafia. We um, you know, which is a little dubious at best, but it says, more recently, Japan simplified its re- entry requirements for foreign students, technical trainees, caregivers, and workers in certain other fields. This led to increasing crimes, some of it involving groups, although hardly the scale of warranting the term mafia. And yet Asahi Gay-no, hardly warranting the term Gay-no, December 22nd, uh, clings to this outmoded term to describe illegal acts by groups of foreign nationals. I'm sure it's just a colloquialism. And it sells. you got to sell. And it's something called mafia on the front of a book or an article will sell. Last month, two Vietnamese were arrested by Yamanashi Prefectural Police. Police. Their alleged offense was having raided local orchards and making off with a large number of peaches. Uh, in Japan, this is me, in Japan, farmers dedicate a lot of science and, and, and everything to fruit growing. So, running off with a bunch of peaches, you know, if you're thinking about a giant lot with just peaches everywhere, nah, these are like <clears throat> prized peaches. The same individuals had previously been arrested on suspicion of stealing pears from orchards in Ibaraki prefectures. Uh, according to the most recent statistics on group crime activities from the National Police Agency, as of 2021, Vietnamese topped the list of those indicted for crimes for the previous three years running, with 4,007 individuals in total last year, considerably eclipsing the Chinese nationals in second place. Quote, Vietnamese who have committed crimes in Japan were not originally affiliated with any mafia groups, but in many cases came to Japan as technical trainees said Tetsuya author of a report published last month by Saizusha on organized crime by foreigners. Quote, they fled from the punishing conditions of long working hours and turned to crime. In 2020, a group of 13 Vietnamese were arrested for stealing livestock from the farm where they worked. They sold their booty to people within their own community and in many cases to restaurants run by their compatriots. End quote. According to a police source, however, fewer Vietnamese are likely to come to Japan to train or work. Quote, Vietnam has been realizing exceptionally robust and economic growth. And there, have, there are no longer any real merits for them to come to Japan for training, he said, end quote. And the disparity between what they might earn in Japan and back home is also diminished further reducing trainees' incentives to engage in crime. So we're anticipating criminal activities will be shifting to other groups of foreigners, end quote. So what I'd like to say is, in the past, I've been in Japan since 2006, And you see wave after wave of foreigners coming into this place and some of them incorporate well. And if we compare Southeast Asians, especially the Thai versus the Vietnamese, I never have any problems with any Thai people. They run restaurants. They're very respectful and they go home and they do their thing. Maybe the girls are a little more prostitute-y if you, if you want to go that route. But even in that case, it's not out in the open. Um, but this this batch of Vietnamese people that have been coming here for the past few years, I watched a guy once, you know how a mop has a handle and you have a handle and then you mop? He took the mop off the handle and started cleaning the floors with no handle on the mop and then went and made a whole bunch of food afterwards. Disgusting. They leave Empty boxes all over the convenience stores. Like when I when I go into a convenience store operated by a Japanese person, now I'm like, wow, this place is amazing. It's clean. There's no boxes everywhere, and they're nice. But you go in on the Vietnamese shift, and like they're looking down, and they t- take all your goods, and they put their hands all over the the tops of your beer cans and drinks. Like instead of grabbing it from the side or the bottom, and they go. This is the Japan What podcast. Matthew, pmbigelow.com. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Until next time, we'll continue down these rabbit holes.